0: We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that this podcast is being recorded on, the Wajak people of Perth region. We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community and pay our respects to them and their cultures and to Elders both past and present. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side and the truth. Come on girls, let's go shopping.
1: That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. What are you looking at? Rolling in a boy, you have you You mad, you bastard. Far am you. I'm you. Swear to Christ, Liz, you get a bag of all sorts in here, mate. Welcome to Wook.
0: G'day. Welcome to The Last New Wave. My name is Andrew, and this is the podcast that looks at the wide and varied landscape that is Australian cinema. On this particular episode, I'm joined by Lorenzo Benitez, who is the director of a documentary called Six Months to Salvation. This follows Lorenzo and six other volunteer english teachers from australia as they head over to work in rural thailand and teach the kids there how to speak english this is a film that looks at the implications of what they're doing and going across there and teaching kids how to speak english is that taking away their culture is it improving their culture look it's a really fascinating film and even more fascinating is the way that Lorenzo has decided to uh, put it out into the world. It is available to watch on Vimeo. I will put a link in the show notes to check it out. Um, and it's there for free. So you can watch it for free and, and get an understanding of what this slice of the world is like. And we touch on that in the interview. Um so, look, enough from me. Let's have a quick listen to the trailer for Six Months to Salvation and we'll be back with the uh, discussion with Lorenzo uh, about okay, his film. Hands, I... <laughs> shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. Heads, shoulders, shoulders knees, and toes, toes, knees
1: and toes, knees and toes. Knees and toes. <laughs> Some of them are getting yeah? <laughs> it. Now. now!
0: The ethnic people, the hill Tribe people, the Korean people, they have been always in
1: the the lower part of the society. Do you think that the more the English is spread, that the more the Korean culture slowly disappears? Hardly, yes. Like, I don't
0: think the loss of control identity would be absolutely
1: huge.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it does sometimes seem like the teaching isn't having a massive impact. (laughs) They're switched on and they're confident, so they're happy to go up and get the answers right.
1: They don't, they're so unironically sound so selfish. you acknowledge that you're changing at least some kids' lives by being here? I hope so. But I can't answer that to certainty. My name is Lorenzo. Lorenzo Benitez. I am the director um, of a film called Six Months of Salvation. Um, I also am one of its producers and editors. Um, and yes, yeah, Six Months of Salvation is a by all accounts, it seems to be the first film to analyze the issue of volunteerism um, from a critical perspective. Um, it's specifically about seven volunteer Australians um, who gradually confront, as the description reads, um, the colonial implications of their work in rural Thailand. And over the course of six months, I write about how they contend with experience as teachers. The omnipresence, westernization, um, and the ambiguity of their purpose. Um, so that's exactly what the film is about. Um, yeah, and that's who I am. And just a little bit of side information about me. Um, yeah, I'm from Sydney originally. I'm part of a film collective called U16 Co. Um, that's spelled the letter U one six And we're the, and they're the like um. My fellow producers and I are the ones responsible for that, um, as the ones who put out the documentary under that, uh, under that banner. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's a bit about me.
0: Yeah, thanks for that. It's, and you're, you're even though you're the, the director and the editor and producer of the film, you're also one of the subjects of the film as well. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, because uh, this is your first documentary, is that right?
1: Yeah, this was my first documentary in addition to my first attempt at a feature. Wow.
0: Impressive stuff. So how was it then tackling pretty much everything while you're also trying to teach students in a foreign language?
1: Um, That's a great question. Um, hmm. The way that it was uh, a lot of the time was that I felt like, and this probably comes off at some points in the film, I did feel like I was... (laughs) trying to pull off a juggling act where um, I was at once trying to make a film that was journalistic and a bit more impartial toward the subject without dictating any biases on my part. But at the same time, wanting to include myself as somebody who's there very much doing the program himself too, um, working as a volunteer. Because it's very easy to make a film where, you know, it's... um. There are a lot of documentaries out there that exist, especially when you think of some a director like Michael Moore, that are very didactic, mm-hmm. and where the sentiment of the director just overwhelms like the film's focus and the motivation for even existing in the first place. Um, and I've always been a fan of those films that are more interrogative and comfortable with uncertainty and just the the act of you know provoking thought, than necessarily those with providing easy comfortable answers or, like, easy pres- policy, like, prescriptions as to what needs to be done thereafter. Um, and so I think what when I was making the film, being both a subject and director was one of those hard lines that needed to be walked, because instead of coming off like a Michael Moore, I wanted to make it clear that Lorenzo's presence as a subject, as you say in the film, um, is distinct to the voice that you get from Lorenzo, the director, in the editing room. Um... So, you know, that's why, like, um, there are a lot of decisions of, of, like, the the opening shot of the film is me just talking very candidly um, and very unscriptedly in a way that's not exactly, like, lends credence to my authority, but very much jeopardizes my perspective as an equally subjective perspective as any of those of the other films in the film, too. And so, like, that juggling act of just wondering to myself, is my voice becoming too dominant or overwhelming in the in the telling of this story, um, that was probably um, among the more tricky, like, things that had to be balanced out over the course of the six months.
0: And with you and the, the other guys that are there, who are there to teach English, essentially, um, how was it kind of, was it a conscious decision to go there and say, all right, we're going to teach these kids how to learn English, but we're also going to do do a documentary about it. Or was that kind of a a, a conscious decision beforehand? Or was it something that you, as you uh, applied to be a volunteer, did that come sort of naturally be like, hey, this would be an interesting thing to explore?
1: Yeah. um, It kind of worked out as something that I had planned beforehand. Um, I actually initially, um, a story that I tell sometimes when people ask about like, how did this, document or even, like, begin as an idea. Initially, I wasn't going to be stationed in Thailand. I was going to be doing a similar kind of work in East Timor. And uh, at that point, when uh, I found out that I was going there, um, I devoted, that's when I pulled together the idea and asked a few friends of mine who um, were very much into film with me in school and said, like, let's actually make a full feature and edit it together. Um, but unfortunately, that trip fell through. And so what happened was that I would slot it in to join six other guys who were going already to Thailand, um, because I would have otherwise gone to East Timor by myself. There wouldn't, it would have been a very different film, mm-hmm. let me tell you, just at least by way of like social dynamics and how they're captured on camera, because it would have been just me instead of being amongst a group of seven. And however, um, having had the resources set up already to make a film, I just I figured even if Thailand is, you know, it's it's probably a more off-beaten path than East Timor. I was like, you can still find an interesting story probably out of your... You're there for six months after all, so something interesting will happen. And so I still brought the camera anyway and, like, brainstormed a few ideas as to what could be interesting. And what remained, it, like, at the forefront of my curiosity was understanding whether the sort of these sort of programs which go abroad, you know, whether they do just as much... Um, good as they do as harm, um, and also questioning, you know, what, what's their impact and to what extent are they making a difference in the world, because I do see, like, you hear of their increasing popularity, and what prompted me to even want to investigate these issues in the first place was a friend of mine, who's a few years older than me, upon hearing that I was going on that program for the first time, said, oh, that sounds kind of neocolonialist, and I think he was said that somewhat ironically, like with a smirk on his face, um, recognizing that that's a bit of a tall criticism to be just giving. Um, and I figured at least the documentary, um, irrespective of what the outcome is of its message, whether its message is even, like, as I say, didactic or more um, subtle and like um, investigative, there's still going to be some information to be gleaned that would only enhance the quality of debate that people have when it comes to subjects such as this one. Um, and in light of their, like, significantly growing pop- popularity, um, you hear about people going on, um, like, overseas volunteering trips now a lot more frequently. Um, there's a, there's, this, uh, tin- there's a, a really funny parody um, account called Humani- hum- Humanitarians of Tinder, <laughs> which is supposed to be, like, a parody of How There's Humans of New York. It's supposed to be screenshots of people standing, and their main Tinder photo is them standing amid poverty, like, with a couple of African children to their side, using them as almost props to dress up their adventurous lifestyle. And, like, um, you can see there's something almost of a criticism emerging in, like, um, the mainstream, if you want to call it that, community as to what these programs are actually achieving. Um, and while, admittedly, my program was six months, instead of, like, the, the off-disparaged, like, four days um, staying in an orphanage and becoming emotionally attached to a bunch of kids in a developing nation and then suddenly departing, um, there was still enough parallels between my program and all other programs that made me curious to at least capture a lot of it on camera. Well, so, yeah, that's a, that's a lo- yeah. long answer there.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's good. I'm glad that you're giving a long answer, it's really interesting because, you know, it, it- definitely does give you a lot more than than the, you know, as you were saying, that four-day experience that some people have where they may go on a Contiki tour or something like that and and then go and experience something and their lives are changed forever. And, and you can't help but roll <laughs> exactly. your eyes at those people. And, and, you know, as well-meaning as they may be, it's still, it's still a, a, a questionable thing that they're doing in some regards. So I find yeah, it really yeah. interesting that you look at this at a at a really longer time span than you know obviously a couple of days um but uh-huh. also for me what i found really fascinating was that uh the people that were going there were had had a different opinion about teaching english in the sense that you know they they felt that there was a chance that by teaching english they were going to overtake the the language of the the Thai people and then you have the, the people who are living there who their perspective is, hey, we can try and collect as many cultures as possible and understand the world around us and, and learn and gather more information. It's, it's a really interesting dynamic and, and a conflicting idea. Um, so I guess in that regard, how was it for... Obviously, we, can, we know what it was like for you and the other guys who were going there. But how was it for the students and, and the people that you were living with uh, to be able to say, hey, we're going to film you and, and tell this story.
1: How did they react? Um, the reaction that was most... Hmm, I am think this is uh, me thinking back two years already, because <laughs> as you may remember, the film itself was made, um, shot in the first half of 2015. Um, and thinking back to how people reacted, thankfully it was like... And this is a, an approach I actually took as well with um, the uh, fellow volunteers. I sort of just like started taking out the camera more more for, like more often over the course of our proceedings there and I I told the other volunteers at first, yep, this is a I'm making a film. Um I at the end of the 6 months I'm going to ask you on camera for your permission or uh, in like a verbal contract for you not to sue me. <laughs> but um effectively that was just me like the reason I left it toward the very end instead of doing it at the very front, which is what most documentarians typically do, as it's much safer to just get the guarantee at the start than be told at the end that a key subject no longer wants to appear in the film, Mm. So that I wanted to build trust of, like, you know, like develop a relationship and showcase over the course of the six months that I wasn't going to, I wasn't making, like, either a typical, a glorifying um, documentary about these sort of programs, but neither was I going to make a disparaging one that was just contemptuous of these sort of things at the end of the day. I was gonna try and find as much nuance, um, within the subject as possible, um, and so I, that's that's how I approached it with those fellow volunteers. And when it came to the other people and students, um, yeah, we effectively had permission that was obtained from like um the teachers in each um school, like which if, wherever there was the relevant teacher, we just asked can we just film this classroom? Sure. And oftentimes they'd say, yeah, fine, no problem with that. And uh, any time, like, any person didn't want to be filmed, they weren't included in the film. But um, it was sort of the the, the main approach was just, um, when it came to the subjects who were being interviewed, who you see there um, specifically, um, those ones who were sat down in front of the camera, they were very, more explicitly sought out their information and asked for an interview. Mm-hmm. But the scenes of us interacting with classrooms in everyday life um yeah, I'm not sure whether I from to my understanding it's not like Australia where if you film in a children's school there's uh, every kid's going to have to take a contract home to their parents. Um we just start we got permission from the relevant um person at each school and just proceeded to film from there. So yeah. Well, it certainly and added to, like, to what?
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. Sorry, you you continue on for a second. There what you going to
1: say? Oh, I was just going to say that um, as a result, when people watch the film, especially because a lot of the dialogue or stuff that's said by, in Thai or the local Korean language isn't subtitled, we almost wanted to create that sense of foreignness as well for, uh, for, the, for the, the, the viewer in that we have, like we recognize very much that the, the viewer is, uh, trying, is accessing this story through the surrogates of the Western volunteers. Which I, as the director, no matter how how hard I try, will forever like always be one of, as a foreigner in the country, and so it's somewhat um, inauthentic to try and you know aim for like oh this is like there's no there's nobody behind the camera it's like a p- completely journalistic news um, account over here. Mm. Um, I, that's why it's also I, I felt important to it was important to draw attention to my presence as a director from behind the camera too.
0: Well, I I found it really interesting that you did decide to not subtitle the different languages, essentially, in the sense that, you know, it it adds to what you're trying to aim with telling this film in the sense that, you know, you're going there to teach people how to speak English. and, And there's a great moment where I think it's you who says, you know, you're you're trying to explain what the words are that you've written on the board. And you look, and you, I think you say, you know, I don't think they even know what the Thai symbols are, which adds <laughs> so much to it because it's like, you know, you're, already, you're trying to teach people who may not understand their own language, which is, is difficult in
1: itself. Um, so I thought that was really yeah.
0: interesting and fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to add to that, it's because um, the Karen Hill tribe, who you we were teaching at the time, um, and the program still continues to teach. Um, they they are not ethnically Thai themselves. Um and they were once a marginalized group of people. Um and that's why we like that's the purpose for us teaching them ostensibly is by helping them learn English they can become better and more respected participants of the services economy. Um, and so that seems like a noble thing to do and so it could be if if it's based on their desire to learn it themselves. And so that's why, um, yeah, that's why, like, um, as, like as you say, like, it being unsubtitled, it creates that sense of otherworldliness almost, as somebody confronting a foreign culture. Um, I think that I can't I can't emphasize the extent to which, in in making the film, we wanted to prioritize. You know, at least we would rather that the the viewer felt more like a tourist or a foreigner than they did feel like a local, mm-hmm. because, um as i said being from that perspective like we think that the most honest thing like a filmmaker can do rather than ignoring their bias or trying to downplay its pre- its presence the best thing one can do is to simply acknowledge it and just roll with it and, and say like okay we're biased in the sense that we're westerners looking at this from this perspective so we're not going to try and like do things that we can't we're not going to try and subtitle things because even though we we could if we tried very hard and got um, the assistance of additional translators. I mean, our language, our knowledge of the language, Um, why not have the form of the film mirror the content of its characters? And that why not have the, the subtitling and what languages are available to the audiences mirror the same languages that were, like, quote-unquote, available to the volunteers?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um and- it, it it furthers exactly what you're trying to say, and and I appreciate that as a film watcher. It, it immerses you into the story in in ways that you know you, you just you, other films may not be able to, which is really impressive. Um, so as you're saying, you know this you filmed this is two years ago, and mm-hmm. obviously it's been out online and stuff for for people to watch and and stuff like that. But I'm curious for you as a filmmaker, you know, and and a young film or, filmmaker at that, is that what is the what have you learned essentially in the past 2 years and and reflecting on your your teaching there and and also with the the filmmaking itself
1: um huh that's an interesting question <laughs> well what did i learn so uh, yeah that's a, that's a that's a broad question too but um yeah so admittedly i'd say with the the benefit of more than a year's hindsight, then, um, I learned from being a teacher a fair m- amount more than I thought I initially expected, I'll acknowledge, um, like the most striking lesson i I've, pr- I've probably gleaned over the past few years is that, um, I'm the immensely lucky beneficiary of, you know, uh, and as a lot of people, as the other volunteers are too, we're all the immensely lucky beneficiaries of cr- some crazy privilege, um, and that to teach children. Whose outlooks are in life are so unlike our own. Um, it highlighted just like how diff- again, like the inequity fundamental to a lot of society. Um, especially like there's a scene in the, there's a moment in the film where I talk about like you know a lot of these kids are going to grow up in agriculture. Do they even need to learn English in the first place? But um, the but at the end of the day, like um, at least coming to grips and coming to terms with the fact that, like, people who are just born in different parts of the world can live vastly different outlooks and spend their 80 or so, like, years on this planet just, like, um, chasing totally different goals in different, like, as a result of different scale altogether, which is driven by simply what's available to them as opportunities and resources, um, that's something that um, I'd say that I, 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 like, I heavily have internalized since then. Um, and since then, I mean, a lot of my, like, my preoccupations. I um I told you, I'm not sure if I said this at the very beginning, but um one of what I'm studying here in university now is in philosophy, and so I find like um philo- specifically that which interrogates, you know, how can altruism be at its most effective? Um is also a very interesting consideration, especially because it was almost prompted by having made a documentary that just questions, you know, how effective are these altruistic endeavors? Um. So that's another thing
0: too. Yeah. So the other the other thing I want to get at as well is that you're quite young, and people who mm-hmm. are usually you know interested in making films and stuff like that, and especially in Australia, you know, we've got a lot of young filmmakers, which is fantastic to see. Um, but most of them tend to go into narrative films or horror films and stuff like that, or genre pictures, which is great. You know, if that's what they enjoy, then fantastic. But it's very rare to see somebody making films at a young age, and specifically making films that are documentaries. Like it's, it's a bit of a rarity. So, what is it for you that that interests you about documentaries?
1: Hmm. What interests me about documentaries in particular is a form is that um, well actually it's interesting because um my film collective just finished the process of completing a, nar- a narrative feature. Which um, will hopefully be out next year, but the experience of making that has revealed to me so much more, like <laughs> my preference for documentary on the basis that um, the actual nature of the work is totally different you're um, you you're, you spend less time almost like trying to accumulate you know the clay to shape into whatever you have, and instead you're just constantly reacting because the world is giving you that um. You're constantly on the reactive as to what's going on. Um, you're not really directing. Is more observational. It's less proactive. Um, you're no longer dictate. You don't have a cast who you have to dictate and whose performance you have to to um, um you know, like um with great with great effort smelt into something that conforms to the, the film that you're trying to make. Instead, um, just uh, you being attentive to like reality, to patterns that emerge, to characterization. To just um like the, the the experience of making a documentary in a lot of ways some can be seen as more difficult because of the fact that you're so reactive and a lot of things are impromptu and unplanned, but that's it's so much it's just so much easier to, I find because um there's less um like directing characters and trying to constantly second guess um every building block along the way mm. is a much more unpleasant process than just you know, shooting for six months and then being like, okay, I'll find the story afterwards, which is sort of how um, this film was made. And so that's the first thing that I prefer about it. And I do think that more people ought to appreciate um, nonfiction. I think that some of the best stories being told nowadays um, are coming out in the nonfiction form. Um, I can think of a bunch of other documentaries like mine, Especially those which are more cinematic documentaries and less televisual ones that, um, you know, experiment and try and uh, an experiment with like lengths of time, um, and pacing, and are more concerned with building up like an atmosphere or an environment than directly say like resolving like uh, a plot of something being investigated. Um, those are films that I very much appreciate too.
0: Yeah, well I. I think, you know, in Australia at least we, we do make some pretty great documentaries and it's a, it's a, an aspect of film which I absolutely love because, you know, they tell stories that we don't usually see and they explore themes that narrative films don't usually cover. You know, mm. what you cover in this film, you couldn't really write or cover in a, a narrative film because you, you, there's a lot of natural reactions and stuff like that and it's a natural story and you're exploring interesting natural things and and that's what a a narrative film doesn't always isn't always able to to cover so it's it's great that you're able to tell this story in this format in the way that you do and it's it's fantastic which leads me to my next Mm. question so u16 which is kind of the production company that you guys run um you decided to release this film for free online. What was the the thought pattern behind releasing it for free online for people to access?
1: Uh, Well, I think um, the three of us always knew deep down that nobody would pay for this film, simply put. Um, Even with critical praise, um, as a a micro-budget documentary made by a collective of really young filmmakers, we just couldn't anticipate it, it ever finding a lucrative market Um, especially when competing against other films with much larger budgets for people's time, um, attention, and money. And so, additionally, as a film about the nature of charity that directly features people of disadvantaged backgrounds, we also felt like it wouldn't be right for us to accept cash and use it in service of our own filmmaking careers when that money could be deployed elsewhere in the service of others. Um, So we figured that we might as well just cut our losses and make it free.
0: Well, that that makes sense and you know it certainly feeds into the the narrative of your story as well and it's it's impressive that you're considering that in in regards to how you release your film um, because a lot of documentaries mm-hmm. do actually you know they they are released and and of course there's a financial aspect to them but uh, often you know you see these kinds of films and you've put down twenty dollars and you question where that twenty dollars go and you goes and you kind of wish that it would go to the subjects that are on the film sometimes so it's it's great that you you are considering that um, when it comes to releasing a film.
1: W- what's mm. the goal
0: with U sixteen as well? What is your aim heading forward with it?
1: Um, well, our aim with it is our aim is the, is the same as it ever was when we founded it, um, which was we used we founded it as a as a good um, formal vehicle by which to produce independent cinema, both documentary and narrative alike, and. Yeah, as I said, we in the future, we have um, our first narrative feature, which is being readied for 2018. And um, hopefully, once that's done, um, it's taking up a lot of my attention right now with my fellow filmmakers, but once that's done, um, yeah, I can't exactly foresee what the third film is going to be, but um, our ambition is just effectively to make as many uh, films as we can um, while we have the energy of youth, and a lot of us um, are in university right now. Um, one of us is graduating already from his undergraduate, but um, we're trying to just effectively, I find, squeeze out films, um, in an attempt to make use of our youthful energy as much as possible before we have to be employed. Let's say, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, which is fair, yeah. And you're based in America at the moment. How has that been for you know the narrative film that you're doing that that will be released in 2018? How's that been for the production of that?' Has it been a little bit easier than in Australia, or um just well, uh, as
1: difficult oh, just I'd say more difficult definitely editing a narrative film is um has been more draining, I'd say because it's probably less fun than cause editing a documentary um, it feels at the same time like writing it when we were making six months of salvation because we were coming to, we were discovering the story for the first time as we edited it. And so editing took on a whole new significance. Whilst with this one, it's a lot of it is just dealing with, um, you know, at, at exactly 26 minutes and 36 seconds, could somebody please remove the pop on that microphone? <laughs> um, I've like, like, been seeing it for the past four cuts already, and nobody's been removing it yet. Um, and, it's, and it's effectively me commentating on that. So editing is a bit more... Um, a lot of the good stuff has already been taken up by the screenwriting stage by then. Um, but the way that this most recent film was made was it was actually shot in, uh, in the Philippines. Um, and my uh, fellow filmmakers, we all met there for a, a few-week period um, around the Christmas um, Christmas time of year and made the film. And so we were all in person for production, um, present for that, um, and post-production. My two other co-producers... Who I edited Six Months Salvation alongside with, they um they were the ones who entirely edited um this latest film while I co-directed alongside them from afar. Um, yeah.
0: Well, I'm excited to see it, and and certainly it's a uh, you know g- given the talent that you've got with Six Months of Salvation, I'm I'm curious to see what you'll do with the you know the team that you're working with with the narrative film as well. So I'm I'm very keen to watch that and.
1: Um, as you're saying, so Thank it was filmed
0: you. in uh, in the Philippines, was it?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, it was shot in the Philippines. It's um, it's a narrative film about um, two old high school friends who reunite in the capital there, Manila, after four years on opposite sides of the of the world. Um, and it's just about. It's just. It's a, It's supposed to be like a a drama about how over the course of a week, um, they're reflecting on their shared adolescence and celebrating their forthcoming university graduations, all while touring one of Asia's fastest-growing megacities. Um, that's, uh, that's the film. It's called An Unscripted Earth. Is It's um, titled thus far, and it's a film about memory, adulthood, um, nationality, globalization. Those were the key ideas that, we were, that that I had in mind at the very least when I wrote the screenplay, which is how I compensated for my inability to edit. Uh, I I wrote the story in the first place, so yeah.
0: Well, I'm very keen to watch it and and definitely, you know, one of the things which I like about, you know, different slices of film, Australian film, uh, international cinema and stuff like that is that we get to see parts of the world which we don't usually ever get to attend. You know, I've not not been to Manila myself, but I have seen a few films that have been set in there and and certainly it's been Mm -hmm. a really interesting city and, you, you know, it's nice to see cities that aren't, just new york or london or paris
1: oh absolutely
0: <laughs> it's really good to see that and you get a you get it certainly a, a different aspect of of the world and you know it was really interesting to see this the the part of thailand that you showed in six months of Tal- salvation as well and there's some really beautiful shots in this film the closing shot in particular i think is really lovely um you know, so certainly, uh, it doesn't cost anybody a cent. Go and watch this film. It's I'll put a link in the show notes and make sure everybody watches it um, because it's you know visually it's beautiful and it, it tells really interesting stories. So that's uh, hats off to you. Uh, I I really appreciate it as a film lover. Thank
1: you so much, Andrew.
0: No worries. Um, now, before I ask my last question, I'll, I'll ask you this there's, there's kind of a new question which I've been asking everybody because even though I have a list of questions that I ask people, uh, inevitably there is always something that I'm certain that the guests are like, "Ah, oh, I wish they would ask me this or I wish I could talk about this. So is there anything that you wish that people would ask you or you would like to talk about um, Six Months to Salvation that I haven't asked you or anybody else hasn't asked you?
1: Um, hmm. Not really, I think I've covered everything, but if there's just one thing, perhaps, that I'd add, that I'd probably reiterate at the very least, it's that, even though the film, um, a key criticism that's been leveled against it, unfortunately, is that people often mistake my opinion as a character in the film, as my opinion as director, suspended in the editing room, with the power to affect how audiences perceive the film, because it's there's no denying that within the film, and this is apparent that on um, my opinion that I actually develop an opinion myself, a pretty strong opinion on you know the the goodness and the effectiveness of our time there and I made and that's evident in like the course of over the course of my character's transformation and I say this candidly to the camera myself, but i I hope that people when watching the film are a bit more conscientious of the of the difference between that Lorenzo and the Lorenzo who fly, who had spent uh, 12 hours flying back to Sydney, took a week off, and then said, okay, let's edit this thing, and then began to reflect very heavily almost as he was editing on the film, on how what, what the film's effect was, and at least re- recognized there was an obligation to tell every side and every perspective amongst the volunteers, which was... Remarkably far-ranging, as you you said at the start, between some characters and other characters, just the difference in opinion that is held. Um, attending to that difference was a huge priority of mine uh, as, in trying to be as good and fair a director as possible. So I hope that's something that people, can at least, notice or don't don't mistake um, when they're watching it. So yeah, that's effectively it. Yeah,
0: well, I I definitely agree. I think that there is a you know, from you at the beginning to you at the end, and then you as a filmmaker, um, you can see you can definitely see a, a change in in who you are and, and what you're what you're trying to say, which is really impressive. And it's you know it's a great testament to you know what you're doing as a as a filmmaker that you are able to you know step aside and say, yeah, this the person that was captured on film. Is maybe a different person than is, than is the person who is now editing it, um, which is exactly. A, it's not an easy thing to say, you know, to be humble and and be look, I'm a different person that I was. It's not not going to be easy. So you know, I appreciate you saying that because it's um yeah, it's uh, repeating myself, but it's not easy.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially because I mean, a lot of you could ease. I could just have easily overlooked the fact that this is a film shot over six months, but accounting for the fact that over six months people can change opinions can change um evidence floats in and out of view and your whatever critical um you know guidance you have could totally pivot entirely over the course of that time and so that was something yeah like i mean as part in, in capturing a film that as you can tell from its title the length of time is very much a part of the film mm-hmm. to six months to salvation and so accounting for the, the significance of change that can occur within that period. But also, um, was my, it was my intent to do that in order to just create as honest and authentic a representation, an unvarnished um, a representation as possible.
0: Well, definitely. Um, so with, mm-hmm. that, with that all said, the, the final question which I ask everybody, because this is an Australian film podcast and we do discuss Australian cinema, is there an Australian film that you recommend people see that you enjoy yourself? Uh, yes, besides I'm... Six Months to Salvation, that is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, th- thank you. But um, no, the f- one film that I strongly recommend, I'm so glad that you're asking this question because there's some incredible stuff being made within Australia that a lot of people overlook in, in their in their fascination with the foreign, uh, foreign entertainment that gets poured in. Um, there's a film that I really love. It's called Free of Thought. Um, it's an Australian film as well. It was released in 2016. Um, directed by a, a guy from Melbourne called Nathan Barilaro. Um, and it's a it's a narrative film about a couple. Um, set, the first half of the film is set in Melbourne, and the second half is set in Montreal. And it's about a couple who is very much in love at the start, and they grow gradually apart, very naturalistically, over the course of the first half of the film. And the second half of the film is entirely set in Montreal, and it follows... Um, the the male of the couple as he, after the couple has seemingly broken up, and they themselves aren't don't they're not exactly the most exciting group of people. I mean, they both work. One of them works part time as a as a cashier, I believe, and the other one works as like an editing professional or something like that. Um, it's just like a really hu- human story about um, their life and the way that because um, watching the film, it's about two hours long. You get the sense of time passing. And it's just a really fascinating film about um, how distance can emerge as a result of both time and space. Um, it's a, it's a very, what's so amazing about this film is that it also was released for free on a website called NoBudget.com, which um, showcases no-budget films. And I remember watching this film because it was available for free and thinking to myself, this is amazing. This is better than like the vast majority of stuff that comes out of Sundance nowadays this was a film that, because it was um, shot by people who aren't that famous, starring no-name actors, um, and even the cinematography is really nice, um, it, it, it's not exactly the most sexy film, let's say. Um, so, as a, But it is one of the most interesting see- films I've seen that takes, if you want to say, the love story or the relationship and examines it from such a critically naturalistic um, perspective, um, but it doesn't—it doesn't just extract or confiscate a lot of the, the the humor and the fun to be had in that. It's also a very like tender, um, moving story too, as well. Um, and it's called Free of Thought. Um, so I strongly recommend that. As another film that was released the same year as my film, that's Australian. Um, and available online too.
0: Yeah. Well, I haven't seen it, and and on your recommendation, I'm going to seek it out and watch it. Um, because of course, yeah that's part of the reason why I asked that question is that, you know, I, I like to pride myself on having seen a fair amount of Australian films, but um, you know, there are still there are still films which I haven't seen and I love hearing what people recommend to watch because yeah, we do make some great stuff here and you know, we we make some really interesting things that that, you know, I, I encourage people to seek out that that isn't American or you know, nothing against those films. They are good, but um, we do something yes. unique
1: and different here,
0: which I think is is great to see. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. I mean, Australians have probably the best sense of humor internationally, <laughs> so it's a shame we're not seeing more films that uh, that attend to that fact. I can guarantee, as somebody who's been in the US now for a while, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can imagine you're yeah. probably missing Australian cinema in some regard. No, you know the 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 cinemas over there are, are interesting. They're good, but um, I don't know. I, there's not, there's nothing like Australian cinemas. And are you from Melbourne or Sydney?
1: Or I'm from Melbourne. Uh, I don't Melbourne when I say that. I'm from uh, Sydney.
0: Right. Because they've both got really yeah. good cinemas, but Sydney's got some really nice cinemas, nice uh, art house cinemas and stuff like that. So, you know, you're probably missing yes, them. Yes, <laughs> uh,
1: I am. I am. Admittedly, like, in New York City, you can also find some pretty cavernous, huge cinemas too. Um, I was actually in New York City... Um, watching Dunkirk in the cinema where they were showing its premiere at the same time, like an hour, a couple of hours later. Wow! So it's it's nice to be in a place where like those sort of things happen, um, on a periodic basis. But um, yeah, I do definitely miss um the experience of being home at the very least. <laughs> I mean, I watched Lawrence of Arabia next to the opera house in uh, one of the cinemas there, and that was a formative film going experience for me. So uh, I do yeah, I do miss it a bit.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I, don't, I don't mean to get you homesick, but uh, yeah, it's, it's no way. <laughs> Look, Lorenzo, it's been fantastic, and I, I, I really appreciate this discussion about your film. So that was director Lorenzo Benitez of the film Six Months to Salvation, which you can find on Vimeo uh, for free to watch. And I'll make sure to put a link into the show notes, as well as put a link for the film that he recommended as well, uh, that you can also seek out too. If you want to seek out more stuff from us as well, head over to abfilmreview.com where you can listen to previous episodes of The Last New Wave as well as episodes of our main show which is AB Film Review where myself and my wife Bernadette discuss the latest films that are in cinemas at the moment. Also, you head over to followingfilms.com where you can listen to other shows as well. Uh, namely, there are a few new shows that have actually popped up on there. One is called The Grand Gesture, which has Michael Denniston as well as David Hart, who have previously been guests on the show uh, discussing films in different regards there, as well as a podcast called Projecting Film, which hosts Chris Maynard and Michael Denniston, host on that one. And you can find those on followingfilms.com. You can follow us on social media at AB Film Review on both facebook and on twitter also if you are interested in australian cinema make sure to head over to ausflix.tv where you can rent and watch uh upcoming and previous and old australian films as well uh, it's a pretty great site too if you want to help us out a little bit as well you can have it at, head over to patreon.com forward slash ab film throw a dollar or two hour way just helps with the production costs of this show that's really enough from me Keep on watching Australian cinema and I'll see you on the next episode of The Last New Wave.